first episode. Piali, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm all right, Amber. I'm getting over COVID, um, which affected me for about the last week, but you know, it's affecting everyone at the moment. So I think probably the bigger thing is this time last year, I was in America. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. So yeah, this time in last year, I was in the wild, wild west as we speak. Um, with somebody who I thought was the man of my dreams, but actually turned out not to be. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's a story for another day. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll dive into that at some point. But you also just went to Morocco, right? Tell me how that was. Yeah, I did. Um, I took my mum, actually, um, which was lovely to have some quality time together. And I didn't rate Marrakesh if I'm honest with you it was hectic the traffic was insane um the people were I think the men in particular were just a little bit too much um and so I maybe it would have been a different experience with a group of friends but with with my mom it was nice I don't think I'd go back have you been I haven't. I've been to Egypt. And when I went to Egypt, I was deciding between Morocco and Egypt. So I've always wanted to go, but sounds like maybe that'll be a lower priority trip based on your experience. Yeah, there's more I can tell you later. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not I wasn't a massive fan. There's there there's a bunch of other countries that I would choose to take my mom to <laughs> instead of Morocco. Um, but yeah, just quite hectic. But you know, quality time is always good. And she saw it as an adventure. She was um she managed to climb some of the Atlas Mountain at the age of 70, which I thought was pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, she was quite pleased with that. That's incredible. How are you doing? I I've had the flu, so we've both been sick. I oh. was sure I had strep throat because that's how it felt to me. It was just a really sore throat and a fever. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. after three or four days, I went and got tested and turned out it's the flu, which I guess that's the flu symptoms that that they're seeing mm-hmm. this year is the really sore throat. But luckily, no other symptoms really besides that. So I'm feeling better. I think it's like day five or six. I've spent, uh-huh. um, I spent a lot of time reading this week because I've had some downtime and I've read some okay. really good books lately. So I read, You've read more than one book in a week. Yes. I'm, I'm actually, my superpower is speed reading. So I read anywhere between one to five books a week, typically. Oh my gosh. That's impressive. <laughs> yes. I read the new Steve, Stephen King book, fairy tale, which was really good. It was really different than his other books. I don't normally read uh, Stephen King, but it was rated one of the best books of 2021. So I thought I would check it out. And another really good book I read was the new Barbara Kingsolver book. I love Barbara Kingsolver, such a huge fan of hers. And her new book is called Demon Copperhead and really highly recommend it. So if anyone's a reader out there, check those books out. All right. Should we dive into our episode for today? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to talk about you today, Piali. We want to have our listeners get to know you. We want to talk about what drove you to do this podcast, what makes you you. 
So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with telling me about where you grew up, where you're from? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's such a big question, isn't it? When somebody says, we're going to talk about you. And um, that subject can either amount to a a whole lot of bore or you know, something interesting can come of it that maybe I didn't even realize. But okay, so where did I grow up? Um, In a little town about an hour, uh, yeah, about an hour away from London uh, to the west uh, called Reading. And uh, I was born in the same hospital as Kate Middleton. Um, So my parents live in a cute little house um, on the outskirts of Reading and they have lived there for over 50 years and they still live there now and it's where I spent all of my years um, from being born till the age of 18 when I moved into London for university. So that I understand being from the US, would would you consider Reading to be a suburb? And if so, what is it? What is a suburb of London like? Are you close to London? Is it something you go into frequently? Tell me about that. Sure. So um, the suburbs, the burbs are quite, uh, quite a lot greener. Um, you, you have quite a nice community feel in the suburbs, unlike London. Um, it is easy to get into London. It would take about 25 minutes on the overground train, um, which I was allowed to do from about the age of 15, um, you know, once a year. And um, otherwise, it was when I was growing up, it was pretty safe in the area. You could kids can ride their bikes on the main road and it's just no issue. Um my sister and I had had friends on our on our road, which is a little cul-de-sac, um, and we would play in the evenings and during our holidays on the road. Our parents would be able to see see us from the kitchen window because our houses are pretty small, you know, in in US terms, especially they're like the size of your front room, probably. Um, so yeah, it was it was very much a. Um, a, quite a tight community and that that's where I grew up and that's where I go back to now every so often to visit my parents. What is it like when you go back and I'm asking as someone who has never gone back to where I grew up because my family doesn't live there anymore as so I've never had that experience of returning back to a place you grew up. I haven't been there in more than 20 years. So what does it feel like? Do you does it feel like a weird, you know, thought of like Things are familiar but different. Do you see a lot of the same people that you knew growing up? Do you know what? That's that is such a good question because I had a very um right. So my parents are from India originally. They're from Calcutta. And they moved here, you know, for a better life. Um, they were educated here, they worked here. And they came over here with very little money and they worked hard to make ends meet. So I grew up with, you know, without a lot. Um, And the fact that they still live where they're living in a semi-detached house where their next door neighbours, my next door neighbours, have also lived there for uh, the same amount of time, over 50 years. 
and who I saw as my grandparents growing up. So my auntie Yvonne and uncle Fred, where my, uh, my relatives are all in India or abroad at least. So I didn't grow up with relatives, but I grew up with the Indian community who I consider as family and my parents' next door neighbors who are like my English grandparents. Auntie Yvonne passed away a few years ago and Uncle Fred is still around and he's he's nearly 90. So when I go home now, it's, I can't imagine not going there. It would be bizarre. I go through different phases depending on my mood. So there are times where it feels quite, I'm just being deadly honest here, where it feels like quite routine and stagnant like why didn't my parents change house why has there been no change I want change I want something this is so samey to go back to the same place year after year but it's the only thing I've ever known and to go I guess it there's an element of comfort depending on what's going on in my life so sometimes it's really lovely to go back to that same old house that's always been there There's also a slight bit of anxiety that pops up every now and again of one day it's the setup is not going to be like this anymore. And what what would life be like without Uncle Fred next door, without the same little house, without my parents greeting me at the front door and coming to stand outside and watching my car drive away when I'm leaving to come back to London it's um it's a it's a change that hasn't happened yet will happen at some point and I cannot imagine what it's going to be like so you mentioned that it was a it was an Indian community where you grew up is that why your parents moved to that area or how did that play into your childhood growing up so my my parents used to live in London in West London my dad worked in Heathrow at Heathrow Airport for his whole career and so Reading was close enough to Heathrow, easily commutable, without being in London where house prices were just too expensive, even back in the day for them to afford. So in terms of affordability, it was a good idea to, to move into Reading. And from there, there was a, a Bengali community that uh, over the years have just become very much um, a part of our our lives. So where my parents are from Calcutta, the dialect is Bengali and the religion is Hindu. I didn't grow up in a particularly religious family. They are pretty liberal in in most ways. Uh, What they were really strict about growing up was education, which is a lot of my memory from from when uh, when I was growing up. You know, my dad was pretty strict. Education, education, education. That's all we ever used to hear. My dad's quite a serious character. Uh, dinner time was talking about studies, talking about current affairs, talking about history, world politics. Uh, my sister and I would have to switch the TV off at 6pm every evening to go up to our rooms and study. And this was every day, a holiday and a weekend were the exceptions. It was, it was, pre- it was a pretty strict household. Even 
having sleepovers and stuff were 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 quite unheard of. Well, I can imagine, and you can tell me if this is correct or not, but that was probably so important to your dad because that's probably one of the reasons he moved to England, right? To give you that chance at a different education. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it, it really was actually. And um and I think that and it it was important for my parents that we have the opportunities available to us to do well in life. But f- for that generation, doing well meant studying 24-7 and at the end of it becoming a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer or an accountant, uh, none of which myself or my sister became. So there was always this underlying pressure of, oh, I think you're going to be a good doctor and you'll be a good lawyer. And, you know, subjects were even chosen for us to, to direct us down a particular path that would be successful in their eyes. And as I said, it it didn't happen for both of us. Look, I'm not I'm not knocking the upbringing. They they've done so much for us. They've it's thanks to them that I that I have a house in London. They put everything aside to be able to 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 give to me and my sister, and sacrificed a lot in the meantime for themselves. You know, they didn't go on a single holiday without us until we were both at university. And the added problem there was I had a um, a skin condition of eczema, which made me really sick uh, throughout my childhood years, right up until I was at university and even beyond. You know, I was under specialists a, a lot of my adolescent years um, and under a lot of treatment for some of which was private and very expensive and there was a lot of time that I had to take off school and college and things like that. So that's like an added pressure. And I think if I think about childhood memories, that's another area that really uh, stands out for me. So um, it was quite a standard, it was quite a strict upbringing. You only know what you know, right? Mm-hmm. But in comparison, I was from a very stable background to a lot of my friends who I went to school with who I was probably look I was one of two people of ethnic minorities in my school I was also one of very few people whose parents were still together so actually for me I always wanted some excitement in my life you know oh my best friend had two lots of Christmases you know, Christmas at parents number one, Christmas at parents number two, two lots of presents. Um, I saw one of my best friends whose parents would all, almost, you know, they would buy her so many gifts. I guess now in hindsight, I can see it was to make up for for the time that they weren't spending together. But on the flip side, presents for us were we didn't get much at all, and our parents were together. It was just so boring. Mm-hmm. Right, but they gave you that stable foundation, which is priceless, right? Which now I see as priceless, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just wondering, I'm wondering two things. So it sounds like there was a lot of pressure in your household to do really well academically. I'm curious how that shaped you with your 
job you have today and maybe how that shaped you, you know, growing up into an adult. And then that's one question I have. And then the other question I have is, you know, being a first generation um, child, what did you feel um, like, what was assimilation like for you? Did you feel like you were basically, you know, just English from the beginning? Or did you feel like a mix of different cultures? Or I'm just curious how that was for you. Mm. Oh, they're both such good questions. Can I actually answer question two first? I would say that I definitely had an identity crisis, but that didn't surface until I got to university, weirdly enough, until I was 18. Now, the reason for that is where I went to a predominantly white English school since the age of five, when I was still a baby, that's what I knew. I had very much an Indian culture at home, Indian food. My my parents spoke to me in Bengali and my sister and I would all always answer back in English, which is also a little bit bizarre. And we still do to this day. Um, and I guess that was so that we kept up with our language skills. Um, but also there was a there was another pressure, just to, while we're talking about pressures, for us to speak properly in terms of the English language. My dad was really hot on us speak, pronouncing everything perfectly. And again, I think it was to be able to fit in to this society where they had worked so hard to, to be a part of. Now, I still get comments to this day of people saying things that would assume that I'm from a certain background, uh, status, uh, a girl from money, because of the way I speak. And that used to bother me, whereas now I, I probably play on it a little bit when it suits me. And it's also another really interesting area that we should definitely speak about later. But so identity crisis happened when I went to university. I studied at Queen Mary's University of London which is based in East London, uh, which I'll be able to show you if you come to Lon- come to visit London sometime. And um, it's a predominantly Asian area. And all of a sudden, at the age of 18, I, were, I found myself in a university full of different type of Asian people. And these Asian friends that I had their backgrounds weren't from Calcutta. They weren't Hindu Bengali. They were mostly Gujarati and mostly Punjabi, which are two different states in India. They had also been born and brought up in this country, but seemed a lot more in touch with their Asian background, I guess, from, they were from London, which is predominantly more, uh, they were probably from predominantly more Asian areas. And so all of a sudden I was being questioned on why I eat beef, why I go partying, why I mix with so many white people, which these days would be unthinkable to say, right? But back when I was 18, it was it was just in normal conversation. And that's when I became pretty confused about who I am. I found it quite tough to decide which group was easier for me to hang out with. In fact, I had two groups. I had the Asian friends and I also had my white friends as well. 
And to my Asian friends, I was the white girl. And to my white friends, I was, it was a lot more accepting. You know, they didn't question my background, but where you want to be a part of people who don't so readily accept you because you want to impress. I found myself wanting to be more Asian. I even started, you know, making an extra point of celebrating Diwali. I stopped eating beef for some time. Can you believe? Even though I don't even believe in the religious connotation behind that. So yeah, I went through my years of having a bit of an identity crisis, um, eventually finding myself again. That's really interesting to hear that. And then how did you evolve from that? Or what, what resolved your identity crisis? I guess I would say, how do you, how do you consider yourself today? So after my uh, first degree, which was in genetics, I didn't want to be a geneticist, by the way, but it seemed like a good subject to study. And I'm really glad I did because it was super interesting and I had the best uni life. Well, tell, tell me and, about uh, that, though. What what led you to, to choose that in the first place? And why did you choose the college? Look, can I just ask you that before you get into answering my question? Yeah, of course. Uh, why did I choose the university that I did? Uh, because I wanted to study in London. And I guess that where I didn't get the grades that I had once hoped I had because I was studying subjects that I didn't actually want to study. It was the university that accepted that accepted me on this particular course that was one of my options at a time where I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but kind of felt that studying the sciences was the right thing to do because that's what was accepted of uh, expected of me if I wasn't going to study medicine. What did you want to study? I don't know because I wasn't, I never really had the space to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to the question I asked earlier about how some of those pressures on education and your childhood led to yeah. later in life, which sounds like this was one. Oh of my God. I think I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah. It's, um, I've had it out with my parents, by the way. Um, I had a couple of years of being really unhappy in what I was doing, which was, by the way, I studied a second degree. I was a bit of a mess. I was a bit all over. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I realise now it's because I never had a chance to think about what my skills would be best suited in. Um, So I ended up studying a second degree in physiotherapy in South London and where physiotherapy is was predominantly a middle-class white profession so funny isn't it to think of professions like that but it was the uh, majority of females majority of them are um of white background and and middle class <laughs> so yeah I um I studied physiotherapy and I was back in quite a mixed um university again I went to St George's Medical School wait can I um, just so you did both schools at the same time or you finished and then went to a second school finished and then went to a second school okay so you got a degree in genetics yeah is that correct is that and, yeah. and because the, I think your school is a little different than ours was that a two-year degree a four-year degree 
a three-year degree, a, th- a standard okay. bachelor's. <laughs> so neither one. Okay. Our bachelor degrees are four years. So that's why it was. Uh, okay. okay. So, so three years. And then when you get your second degree, what is that called? Just a uh, second degree? It was just a second degree. It was just okay. a, it was just another degree. It wasn't that one led to the other. Okay. Um, it was just, I didn't know what to do. And so I did a second degree. And um, well, I decided at the time that I wanted to be a physiotherapist, but I don't think that that came from any kind of epiphany that I had. I think it was, I didn't want to be a scientist. I know I probably need to be in some form of science or healthcare. I don't want to be a doctor. So I know, let's um, study physiotherapy. So I did at the at the time I remember feeling quite passionate about it. And again, university life was great because what I did realize throughout uh my 20s is that I loved I loved people. I loved talking to people, I loved being around people. I, yeah, from being this introverted soul to becoming quite extroverted and curious as well and uh, up for adventure so you know I remember uh, during physio school four of us went to Cambodia to work in an orphanage um, during the summer holidays and there were two two guys and two girls and we're still good friends to this day and you know that was my first uh, proper adventure with friends and you know maybe doing things that I shouldn't have done um (laughs) slightly x-rated stuff that maybe we shouldn't speak about on a podcast um and thank god there was no social media back then right (laughs) yeah oh gosh yeah oh my my name would have been dirt (laughs) um yeah so just became I grew into myself at that point I think during physio school Yes, so I think that I really grew into the person that I am today during physio school, after which I worked in in the hospital. I did all my rotations at St. George's Hospital and I was treating patients. And then whether you like it or not, you really have to grow up then. (laughs) Uh, Can you you describe what that means? Like what exactly were you doing day to day? uh, Day to day, my, uh, well, my rotations started on various wards uh inpatient wards so I was my first ever rotation started in elderly care which was very cute um it wasn't very intense um again I met I met even more friends then (laughs) we had a little group of of physios and we had a great time on our first rotation together it was quite easy work um it was nice um it was a lot of discharge planning so getting um older patients up and out and mobile and um helping to decide on their safe discharge and where it was going to be and how it was going to be um and then i i completed rotations in uh, spent a long stint in intensive care I remember the first day I walked into intensive care with my supervisor and I was so intimidated it was it was really scary stuff and then before you know it you're just part of the team you know waltzing into intensive care every morning doing your rounds and and it was you know just just part of 
part of my everyday routine and and the things you see there are are just unbelievable of you re- you really see what life can be versus what you see just to as a regular person that's not dealing with sick people um you get a different perspective of like what life means you know it it was tough it was um it was a tough few years but hospital life was also quite fun because there's a camaraderie am- among the staff and you're all in it together and you're all in a bubble how old were you at this time sorry to interrupt uh not at all I was in my it was in the latter half of my 20s okay and then I specialized in musculoskeletal outpatients just because inpatients while it was it was really interesting medically it was slower paced than outpatients and I guess I'm quite high energy and I needed something a little bit faster and then before I knew it I was in musculoskeletal outpatients treating football injuries tennis injuries post-ops in rehab and then I realized actually I don't think I want to do this for the rest of my life and it was another like bombshell for my parents no doubt um I remember being described as my by my dad as um the rolling stone that gathers no moss (laughs) but I also feel like why do we have to be limited to just doing one thing for our whole lives, right? We don't. We don't. Yeah. We I don't. feel like that whole concept is so out of date. I've never felt like yeah. I ever knew what I wanted to do with my life. I'm always changing and reacting and not just reacting, but just, I would say, taking advantage of opportunities that come up. So I think that is such a, a generational mindset, you know, that people have had from the past that you do one job and you stay there your whole career. And that's just not yeah. the case today. It's really not the case today, but that is completely a generational thing. And again, we're talking about a generation that came from uh, the developing world to try and find some stability. And so it was like that extra thing of you have to stick to one thing and be great. Were you able to have that conversation with your parents? Did they understand that? Back then, no. Um, And also, I've spoken a bit about my dad. I haven't really said anything about my mum, who is adorable and nurturing and such a lovely mum, but very shy and uh, not somebody who would easily be able to stand up to my dad. Um, And so, you know, most big decisions had to go through my dad (laughs) um still do to a certain extent you know now it's a now we're all more kind of friends than than parents as your relationship changes as you get older Uh, you know my dad's nearly 80 my mom's going to be 70 so um you know we I've told them now I've had the conversation with it uh, with them about everything now they still don't see it as they they told us what to do. They see it as they guided us. So if you've been brought up in a country that's massively overpopulated, that has huge amounts of competition, you're going to push your children to do well because you don't have a choice. And they didn't have as much money in those countries back then 
so there is an element of truth to it mm-hmm. but it wasn't guiding mm-hmm. it was very much directing well and as a child you you know guiding is basically directing right because what yeah. is your other source of authority or knowledge for you as a child right yeah nothing yeah nothing you do as you're told yeah so what what happened next once you realized that you wanted to do something different with your life bombshell uh when I dropped the bombshell they were actually quite supportive and um at the time I had a boyfriend um who really helped me to figure out what my next step should be he was a doctor actually so my parents were really happy (laughs) um even though I mean that was also controversial because his background was Muslim that actually, can I ask you a question? Did your parents expect you to date within the Indian culture? What were the expectations around that? Um, growing up, there was not a question of having a boyfriend. Okay. And I think that's why I was quite late um, with having boyfriends. Also, the whole confidence thing uh, played a part as well. But I was a latecomer to the whole dating world. And even when I did date, I my parents would never know about it and we didn't bring boyfriends home they it was just you know this fear of oh my god your education's going to suffer so yeah that was just it was not even a question that you would tell your parents that you had a boyfriend and the first guy I ever brought home was the guy I'm talking about now and that was when I was 28 years old so he helped me to make applications into something that was gonna carry me tie me over until uh I wanted to I found what I actually wanted to do so I worked as a medical assessor uh, for a private company on a government contract for the next seven years again it was great for medical knowledge I ended up being a clinical auditor and managed a team of nurses doctors and physios um around uh, government guidance in a clinical advisory capacity. Um, and then at, in my 30s, so in, back in 2019, I decided, well, not decided, I came to the realisation again that I was not doing what I wanted to do and that I needed to study a master's to get out of this trap that I was in And that is when I spoke to my parents about everything, what actually broke down to my parents and like, you've made me end up in doing things that I don't want to do. And now I'm trapped forever and I'm never going to get out of it. And now you need to help me to get out of it. Like I was a such a spoiled brat about the whole thing. I think I just, I just lost it one day. I lost it. And again, they were really supportive. I mean, also good for you for having the courage to do something when you weren't happy with your day to day. So many people just stay in those bad situations because they don't think they have any other options or choice. So I applaud you for being brave enough to make these big life changes and going back and finding a way to do something that you love every day. Well, thank you. That's really lovely of you to say. Um, However, I do think that I mean, it took me until my early 30s. 
if I could do it all again, I would have made changes much earlier on because actually I was never able to settle into a relationship because I wasn't happy with me. I wasn't happy in what I was doing. I was constantly dissatisfied with what I had achieved, what I was had accomplished, where I was going in my life. And actually, God, you've just triggered another memory. I, I had a I had a best friend back in the day who was from a Persian family and her parents were also uh, strict enough, but not overly strict like my parents. Uh, her parents were professionals, really successful, and they didn't pressure her at all into what she should do. But she wanted to be a lawyer and she knew that she wanted to be a lawyer. And I remember feeling so envious of her being so sure about what she wanted to do from when we were 17 years old. And she followed her path and then she became this really successful lawyer and she climbed and she met the love of her life at university and she got married in her 20s. And, you know, everything was just so straight, so like perfectly turned out for her from how I was feeling at the time that's how it felt and um yeah I just remember feeling just more and more and more and more frustrated as I was getting older like oh I'm just not where so many of my friends are I don't know what I'm doing in my life I feel so lost so then when that came out in 2019 and I was supported to study a master's don't get me wrong the job that I had for seven years was a great learning curve uh, I got so much experience from it. It was also well paid. So I managed to save up to buy my house. I managed to renovate parts of it. Uh, I, I managed to travel as and when I wanted. I was having a good life. Don't get me wrong. I don't want it to be some like sob story of, you know, feel sorry for me. But this is how this led me to go on to studying a master's in health management in 2019. And then it also, it was the best year of my life because of that. It was also the worst year of my life because while I was studying the masters, I was being bullied on social media uh, for my skin condition by a group of people who I knew. And unfortunately, I found out about this or fortunately, who knows. And so it was a real difficult point in my life because I was taken back to how I used to feel as a child I lost all confidence that I had built because these messages were talking about uh, my skin flare-ups and how horrendous I looked and uh, that it was never going to be cured and that I looked disgusting and and all of these like nasty things that I just don't even think that I can uh, bear to think about So that was a drama that I was having to deal with at the same time of studying my master's. So on one side, I'm like doing all these things to like progress my life and get to the place that I wanted to be. And then this horrible thing happened at the same time. And then my mum was diagnosed with her illness. And so 2019 was this really traumatic and dramatic year. And then 2020 came and the whole world locked down and everything stopped. 
And so for me, it was almost a, a but I, I finished my master's uh, and I and I did well. So I was like so happy and relieved. And so when everything stopped and the whole world locked down, I was able to breathe again. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I think was, a lot of people felt that way, though. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, I've heard other stories of people finding it like the, the calm after the storm. Mm-hmm. That's really how I would describe it. And so I took three months off where I left my previous job as soon as I finished my master's and then the pandemic happened. So I didn't work for three months and it was the longest time that I haven't worked since I first ever started working. And, um, and I really got to think about where my life was heading and what I wanted to do. And it was amazing. And then I found my first consultancy role and fell into digital health which is what I'm doing to this day. It's like worlds apart. It's not treating patients. It's using my health background to do uh, client-facing work, which I love because I love talking to people and helping and supporting and facilitating and making change happen and improving systems. And so, yeah, that's me. That's where I'm at. (laughs) Wow. I am so fascinated by your story. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Oh, thank you for taking the time to listen. Yeah, it's uh, it's been 38 years. <laughs> <laughs> When's your birthday? What month, what month is your birthday in? I'm an Aquarian, so mine's okay. end of January, okay. January 26th. What about you? I'm a Leo. Ah, uh, okay. I'm, I'm very much a Leo, you know, beautiful, humble. <laughs> Charming. you are I'm just you are you are you are all of those things <laughs> I can I second that 100 yes. percent well we wanted to take some time on these first two episodes to dive in a little bit to our backgrounds so we talked about you and I really think your story is really fascinating I really do I read a lot of books like I said earlier in the podcast and I felt like I was just reading a really interesting memoir while you were speaking so I really appreciate you sharing Wow, that's um that's such a huge compliment because I honestly have always felt that God is so like stats from such a boring um background. And well, it is to so you standard. because yeah, it is to you because that's all you know, right? But from someone else's yeah. perspective, I have so many more questions about how your parents met and what their life was like before. But maybe we'll do that in another episode someday. Oh yeah, please do. I mean, you know, it was an arranged marriage, so it will be a really interesting um, story for you. So I'm, I'm happy to, to share. I, I'm so pleased that you're interested and I'm so happy to share anything that you want to know going forward and, and anyone else, in fact. And I hope that it's inspirational for others. And when I say I thought it, my life was really boring, I don't really think it was uh I don't don't really think it's boring. I think that it's taken, it's been interesting. It's taken time. It's probably taken more time than I'd like to get where I am now. But I feel really motivated now that I've taken certain steps. And all of a sudden I felt like I was getting to an equal par. See, I do think about what other people think about me. I do care 
how other people see me. And there was a time that I felt really um, not as good as uh, certain friends of mine and that they had achieved so much more than I had and they were so much more successful. I mean, we, we I am still worlds apart from a lot of my best friends who are now married with children living in beautiful houses. Like I'm not there and I don't know if I'll ever be there. And that's something I'm sure that we're going to talk about later on in our episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I definitely feel from a professional point of view and just in terms of uh, self-worth and happiness, I definitely feel like I'm I'm there. Thank you so much, everyone, uh, to all the listeners out there for listening to my story. Um, I hope it's been somewhat inspirational, if not interesting, and um, really do look forward to hearing about your stories and um, and having you join us for subsequent episodes. To get more content from us, you can find us online at inspirationroompodcast.com. If you'd like to submit a story or an idea to be on the podcast in future episodes, you can email us at inspirationpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at inspirationroompodcast. Thanks for listening.